once more in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today I want us to merge some topics that I've been talking about. We are transitioning our preaching now. We preached on repentance, isn't it? And hopefully people have repented and are still repenting. When I was a student, I discovered how depraved, in other words, how wicked my heart is as a human being. I realized that human beings, even when they want to do good, evil is always in them and around them. I realized without reading the verse that despite my best intentions, I still fall short either in my motivation or in my fear of God in when in what I'm doing. In Romans chapter 7 verse 21 Paul says this way he says now I see a law in me that every time I want to do good, evil is right here with me. And I discovered that it is a fallacy, it is self-deception to think that you are as good as you deem yourself to be. That people who deem themselves righteous enough never get to a point of total surrender to God. Because they always think they have some good in them that will supplement the righteousness of God. So I used to pray this prayer and it became known but the funny thing is instead of changing us it became a joke to others but it wasn't a joke for me and I believe because it wasn't a joke that's why I'm here still today and that's why that same prayer is dead again in my heart that Lord I am depraved without you the only thing I can do without you God without your help is to sin. But you have called me to a higher place to be like your son, to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. But in my will, I will what is contrary to you. Therefore, I realize that, Lord, I need you. You are the only need that will meet all my other needs. And therefore, I need to change. And this is the part that became famous. I need to change. I have to change. I shall change. 
I will change. And then they used to make the joke about this one. I must change. And it has become more urgent than it was then. Jesus is coming. I need to change. So today, I want to encourage some people, some of them, they are not at church. When you repent and you want to do good and you want to serve God, you are releasing an onslaught of demonic attacks against you. When you want to be righteous, when righteous comes upon you like light, like a light bulb. It will attract all the demonic insects like mosquitoes are attracted by light. When you decide to stop sinning and shun evil, all hell will break loose against you. Against your health. Against your family. Against everything. Your marriage will go through storms that you never thought possible. Your business will go through stuff that you thought you have navigated. And you will think, why is this happening now? But the Bible is on record saying for whoever wants to do good will suffer. So, faith that we have been taught is faith that receives and asks from God. But there's a faith that Hebrews chapter 11 teaches it teaches a faith that overcomes and sustains you. A faith that allows you to go through fire without being bent. A faith that when God speaks about he says I do not want those who shrink back unto perdition. That when things are tough and they will be, the just shall live. There is a faith that is not about I got this, I got that, I got that. But the faith that says I had victory over this. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death and I came out the other side. And here I stand. I proclaim victory in the name of Jesus. There is a faith that says, even though he slays me, yet I will trust him. I will hold on. And so this morning, 
I'm sending a message of exhortation encouragement to say in this world we will have trouble because of the word we receive. But be of good courage. Jesus has overcome the world. But you have to walk with him in that valley of the shadow of death. So as a church, the body of Christ, there are things we have done very well, but there are other things we have really not done well. And some of those things we have not done very well, are coming to bite us now. And one of those things is our denial that bad things will happen to Christians. Suffering will happen to Christians. Depression will come. Because when the enemy attacks, there is an end goal in his mind to destroy you and your faith. Now every time we make light of this situation when people go through the value of the shadow of death we have taught them to hide to think Maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I'm in sin. Maybe I am not good enough. But that is a lie. And maybe we need to unravel the lie so that faith can arise. So that you know that it will come because it came to others but they overcame and it will come to me and I will overcome. Maybe we need to say to you these are the tools to overcome because it will come. So today I want to tell you it will come but it won't destroy you. It will come. It won't flood you. It will come. It won't burn you. But you've got to know how to navigate. And it will come. There will come a day where you question your faith. There will come a day where you wonder Am I really saved? Is God truly with me? Can I tell you? You are not the first one. The testimony of the Bible is God took them through it. So today I just want us, when we were at the retreat, we spoke out about the dark night of the soul 
And today I want to combine that with what we call the value of the shadow of death. I'm aware we won't finish today. We will finish next week as we go, whenever. But we're not going to leave it in the middle. Is that okay? So if you want to do good, you will suffer. And this is why. Number one is because you are generally opposed to God's will for your life. You know that. Number two is that you contend with with a corrupt, relentless nature of sin. Even when you want to good, your flesh your sinful nature says let's do the opposite of God's will it starts with small things like when the spirit says wake up and pray and the flesh says I'm tired for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak but your flesh can take you to extremes when you are angry and you say I hate this person I don't want to hate them but what they did is unforgivable you you have an enemy within you it's a relentless enemy and it works with your other enemy, the devil, and the world. Both are saying to you, you can't do it despite God's promises. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you will suffer within. But I want us to take courage as you read with me. Because I'm just going to read today, right? As we read, be aware that these things that we are reading happened to normal people. Didn't happen to supernatural. It happened to flesh and blood people. Let's start with our Lord Jesus. He went through those things. He was emotionally challenged. You understand, people have mental sicknesses in the church now. People are suicidal. People are depressed. People are all kinds of medication. Because as a church, we like, no, you must just pray. Because those things don't happen to people who pray. But here's a man who nobody ever prayed like he prayed. But the Bible says of this man, of the man from Galilee, it says he was a man accustomed to sorrows. And one day, the Bible says he met the greatest of his sorrows in Matthew 26, 37 to 38. He says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be grieved and greatly distressed. Grieved and greatly distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. 
Stay here and stay awake and keep watch with me. The NLT put it this way. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The NIV says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is what the words Mark uses. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Now it describes two things. It describes the state of his emotion and the duration thereof. There are lots of interpretations, but I go with this one. First thing he says, you must understand, Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus came to die. He was not going to get out of the dying. But the Bible says, the possibility of the cross coming, he was overcome with sorrow. And for the first time, he needed people around him. He needed a support structure. He needed prayer partners. He needed people that the church says you don't need. He needed people you can call and say, my soul is overwhelmed with grief. I'm feeling suicidal. I have thoughts of loneliness. I have thoughts of hopelessness. I feel like my life is worthless. And he says, stay here and watch. But then he he describes another thing. This state that I'm in is not that it's just Jesus was not killed by sorrow. That is why I don't agree with the other interpretation. He was not suicidal. He laid his life down. Are you hearing? He didn't experience suicidal thoughts like you and me. He was going to die. But he's describing that this overwhelming sense, I have to carry it until the cross. And it was this overwhelming sense of being lonely, of being left alone, of having no one that made him cry. Because this was overwhelming. I have no one, even the one I've always had, is not here. Are you there? You know what's the good thing? Jesus will carry you. He will. But see, there are people we put on a pedestal Pastors included. We think they are powerful. 
But how many of them commit suicide? How many of them are depressed? We have put such a burden on one another. But the sons of Korah, they were musicians. They were appointed to sing in the temple. They write a psalm. They pick on David as well. But this is the psalm they write. It's Psalm 42. Verse 5, they say, Why are you downcast my soul within me? The word means why are you dejected? Why are you overwhelmed? Why are you so troubled and grieved and distressed, my soul? Why am I feeling so lonely and depressed? It was in the Old Testament. These were the, the Levites of the day. These were the people who sang Song of Ascent. These were the people who were arrayed with the robes. They would sing and say, Holy, holy. The Bible tells us that when they would sing these guys, the glory of God would come. But they had their human moments. Why are you downcast? Why am I going through such pain despite that when I sing the glory descends? Are you there, saints? But why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become restless and disturbed within me? Hoping God, wait expectantly for him, for I shall again praise him for the for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. The burden is more than I can bear. Therefore, I will fervently remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peak of Mount Hermon from Mount Miser. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. This is what David says. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me for troubles without number. Eh? Oh, David was a man after God's own heart. Oh, David played the harp and the demons came. Yes, the anointing upon you can take out the demons, but the anointing upon you is not for you. It's for ministry unto others. You will heal the sick while you are ailing yourself. Because that one you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will heal others, but you need your own healing. So David says, when I played the harp, Saul was released, but I can't play the harp for myself because now I look around and troubles without number they surround me. When he rises to God, he 
He says, my tears are my food. That night I don't sleep. I cry and I ask my God. When shall I come to you? Oh, my soul thirsts for you. And even my enemies come to me. They say, aha, aha. Where is your God now? David, why are you not playing the harp? My sins have overtaken me. And I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. That's the part where the Bible says, Selah. Pause and consider a man who says, In my distress, when I was in my distress, I was playing positive. No, 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 no. he didn't apply the power of positive thinking. He says, In my distress, I cried out. To the Lord. There was a man called Jonah. Jonah was a man who hated the Ninevites because the Ninevites were oppressors. They were worse than the Romans. They oppressed Israel. And Jonah wanted the Ninevites killed. He wanted them to have what they deserved. But there is a gracious God in heaven. The Bible says he shines his sign, his sun upon the righteous and the wicked. He gives rain to the wicked and the righteous. Because we are all his creation. And God having mercy on Nineveh Jonah to Nineveh and Jonah said never over my dead body will I go and speak of your mercy to my enemies you know the story right eventually he goes the Bible says he went around three days and when the king has heard that your days are numbered your sins have reached heaven God is going to punish you the king said we must repent. Are you there, Bazalan? Are you still okay? You do realize I'm trying to read again. We are in Jonah 3, verse 6 to 9. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, you see how serious the matter was. 
When even if you have got problems, your cat is still eating. Your dog does not know that your marriage is in trouble. Your, your, your chickens don't know anything. But in this place, even the dog and the donkey knew that today was like. today. How do we? Because it's Repentance Day. Heads of flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Okay, Sporty had a question today. But let people and animals be covered with said cloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Are you hearing the mercy of God? But listen to a child of God. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. What was the emotion that Jonah had? Anger. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? I don't think this was. Isn't Lord what I say? When I was, the Bible says he was what? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? But God, God, God said to John, is it right for you to be angry about it? Jonah continues, I am so angry, I wish I was dead. So Jonah was double angry. Because the Bible says, he was angry that God showed mercy to his enemies. That is why some of us here, unless you forgive, unless you let the nature of Christ take over, one day you will sit and consider God unfair. He was double angry whilst he's angry about the Ninevites not dying God brings a shade Jonah is comforted and consoled the next day God brings a worm that eats this shade from the vine and the sun scorching hit, hit him he was angry about the worm and Jonah, you are angry. You harbor anger and bitterness. Jonah, the reason you have psychosomatic diseases. The reason Osahonu Romala, Jonah. The reason You are angry that the ANC is destroying the country. And because you can't pray, when you hit a pothole, anger rises. When there is this, you know the issues that you and I don't sleep about. We like take them out. I don't know what God will do. 
What I know is that the people that don't do what we want, we want them destroyed somehow. But as this God in heaven who forgives Saul the murderer and it does not look good to us, does it? And then we become bitter. The Bible says we fret. We say, why do the wicked prosper in their wickedness whilst we struggle in our righteousness? There was a man, the Bible says, this guy, he prayed that it shall not rain and it didn't rain. When we talk of Elijah, the anointing of Elijah. You know, Jonah wished to die. You, you heard him. You heard him. A powerful preacher. Jonah was the amazing evangelist. He preached the whole city. Repented. After that amazing victory, he wished to die. And when are you alike? We are going to Kayasens. We're going to take the city. Let's take the city and mind the after effects. Every time we go to missions, I tell them, when you come back, don't sit on your laurels because the fiery darts are coming for your soul now. Are you there, Bazalo? Okay. Maybe we'll end with Elijah. Let's see. There's a story that you know. I'm just reading it. Because the Bible says we must read the scripture in public. I you have I sent you the verses like you can follow them. Where are we reading? In first Kings chapter eighteen, I get. Listen to what it says. I'm reading from verse 23. Get two bulls for us. Again, now he's challenging the prophets of Baal. He says, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire on it to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. This is after they have done their sacrifice. So he's doing his. On theirs, they, they didn't even have to put much water there. He says, pour water on the wood. Do it again. They did it again. Do it the third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down and the, uh, around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward, prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known, Utlari, let it be known that you are God in Israel. And I like this part. And that I am your servant. 
And I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So that these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifices, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trenches. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Who slaughtered them? And Elijah said to Ahab, the king, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. What a mighty moment. Eh? What a manifestation of power. Chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. What did uh, Elijah say to Ahab? Go and eat. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods, isn't it the very same gods he has just defeated? Them? Yeah. May the gods do what? Deal with me, be it ever so severe. If by this time tomorrow I do not make you a life like that of one of them, Elijah was afraid. What did Jonah have? Anger. What did Elijah have? Fear. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might. Listen to what he says. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. There he went into a cave later. I get it now that he has been given food by the angel. And spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Someone says zealous. I have been what? I have packed the chairs. I have left when there was no one. I came early. I prayed for the church. I prayed for the pastor. I prayed. I did everything. I tied. I came for the building. I did whatever I could. I I forgave all. He says, but here I stand. They killed your prophets. Now they want to kill me. I am even worse than my forefathers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Did any of his forefathers have the mental, the anointing yet? A sense of worthlessness. A, 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 a mid-life, mid-ministry crisis. Okay. We'll continue with the notes next week. Okay. 
This man has reached a point where despite walking with God doing all the things he did, he felt empty. He came to a point where going to church didn't make sense anymore. If you have never been there, we are happy for you. But we must warn you, it's coming your way. There will be days where church is unchurchy. You will remember your wine that you used to drink. You will remember your friends that are not born again. You will remember the Egypt days. And like the Israel of old, you would feel like I'm in a wilderness but I was promised promised land. I was promised a land flowing with milk and honey. But now I miss the leeks and the cucumbers from Egypt. And you are going to the valley of the shadow of death. I cannot finish today. So we need to find a way to land it at a safe place. And this is what I think is the safe place for today. David calls it a valley not of death, of the shadow. Shadow is not a reality. It is a cast of a reality based on the reflecting light. There is no shadow unless there is light. Beyond the object that casts the shadow over you, there is the light. Now you see, you can look at when you are not even in the object. When I see the you are busy thinking, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. It's just a shadow. It is a hovering spirit seeking where it can go. But above that object, then the light of life that the Bible says come into the I remember out because really it was that another excitement where I said again. We are not even halfway of the things we are saying. But just so that you go home understanding. Shadows don't have hands. No shadow can shake your hand or touch you. What do you go through? Is a reflection of a reality that other people are actually dealing with. As I sit 
and stand in the church and dance someone is in hospital they know for a fact that today is the last day are you hearing what I'm saying? but when shadow there are hands that come around this shadow David calls them your rod and your stuff. The one is to hook. The staff is to hook the, the sheep. When the sheep goes that way, come back. The other one is to defend. The defender of the sheep that is why David says, when I walk there, I know I may feel the shadow. But hovering above the shadow is one with a staff and a rod. And because of his protection, can I just add something? He who abides. Hey, I, I might get excited. There is another shadow that is stronger than the shadow that is in the valley of death. David says that the, the shadow of the Almighty. This is a multifaceted thing, right? Let us not be afraid. Yes, it's painful. Yes, Yes, for now, it feels like it won't end. But it will end. For goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life.